0: morning, everyone. <clears throat> my voice is leaving me out. it must be the allergic season. Uh, welcome to Grand Rounds. Uh, we have a, a really, really wonderful Grand Rounds today. We're going to learn something absolutely transformative in the way we do newborn screening and led by Dr. Karen Rubin. But before, uh, before I do that, I think we have a couple of celebrations and uh, if I could put my first slide up, uh, Steve, it would be great. And this is the, uh, today, actually it was a couple of days ago, we had our 25th anniversary. And uh, I don't know why that's moving on, on its own. It's not supposed to, but. Uh, and I uh, just want to show some slides from, from before. This is uh, many years ago as we were traveling from, uh, uh, I think it's an automa- automatic. It must have been something I did. I don't think it was something they did, uh, but it, it keeps moving very quickly. Uh, so, it, you know, this is a celebration from many, many years ago where we actually, uh, the, the Children's Hospital was was built. And, and you can see here from... Uh, uh, it, a notice from again I don't know why this is switching but I think it's an automated so my apologies to you let's see if we can fix that uh, just give me one second but again we're celebrating our 25th anniversary uh, for Connecticut Children's and uh, and back in 1993 and Dr. Rubin will remember we actually marched from Hartford Hospital to the the uh, capital with a, a bunch of kids I was a I think it was actually 1992 I was a chief resident I still remember with you know, walking down and uh, uh, making a pitch for Connecticut Children's. I think it was going to be called the new Newington Children's Hospital, but it, it actually changed ultimately to Connecticut Children's uh, a great endeavor. And, and, uh, and then the, the building started in 1993 with the typical uh, groundbreaking ceremonies with the shovels. I think some of those shovels will be sh- uh, shown this. Is that good now? Did it work? Maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. OK, if it keeps moving, that's OK. Um, but it, these shovels will be shown this afternoon at the 25th anniversary celebration here with, with Gil and Jim. So join us, uh, if you can, remotely at uh, 2 p.m. Uh, but, you know, this is pretty cool here. So come join us for a whole a whole lot of fun for Connecticut Children's. And here is the building being put together many years ago uh, of what we have today. Uh, and you can see this is, uh, you know, many, many years in black and white. And then this is the building that we currently call Connecticut Children's, which clearly has... Uh, you know, gotten bigger and and grown. Now we're at Children's Health Center. So happy birthday to Connecticut Children's and all of you who were here 25 years ago, which includes Dr. Rubin. She was here 25 years ago when this place opened. Um, I wanna thank the academic leadership at the time. And this is Dr. Milton Markowitz, who was the first chair of the Department of Pediatrics and, and, you know, him along with uh, Dr. Leon Kamaitis had the foresight of creating a health system of pediatricians that actually would not compete, but would work closely. And that allowed ultimately uh, for the Connecticut Children's to open with all the specialties without any, any problems. It took time, obviously it was 10, 15 years in the making and, and we are where we are right now. So thank you to, to Leon and, and Dr. Markowitz for, uh, for what, what they have done over the years. And of course, uh, we wouldn't be here either with our, the, uh, two, my two former mentors, and, and colleagues, uh, and Dr. John Ray, uh, who was uh, initially chief of neonatology and then chair of pediatrics. And he was the chair of pediatrics and physician-in-chief at Connecticut Children's Open. And uh, yeah, John hired me many years ago, and uh, I owe him uh, just uh, an enormous amount, and so do we uh, here at Connecticut Children's. And, of course, the guy next to him with a cool tie there, uh, I think he's changed his tie, it's not a little thinner now in black, uh, Dr. Paul Dworkin, uh, who, who was the, the second uh, chair of pediatrics here at Connecticut Children's. Uh, and, and then I followed him again. Thank you to their leadership for all that they did for opening Connecticut Children's. Now, uh, Karen has been part of this journey for a long time. Uh, she's one of our leaders and transformational leaders. And, and you'll see why today with the presentation on how she's taken a, a, a newborn screening program that uh, was, was initiated many years ago. And Bob Greenstein, the former ch- chief of, the, the, of genetics was instrumental in this, but Karen has brought it to, to a new place. And Karen has been around for, for a number of years. And you can see uh, you know, a great picture of Karen. I love that dress uh, <laughs> with, with Susan, uh, uh, Susan Ratson here, uh, who all, all of you know. And, uh, and, and then you can see Karen is, is part of the, of the social club. She, you know, she with her husband attending a variety of dinners. I think that might have been might, might the Barney House, Karen. I think that's probably where that was many, many years ago. And, uh, and then uh, another great picture uh, of, of Karen a few years ago uh, and of course, with her husband, very elegant always, and uh, attending, and, and just a just a great leader. And with, you know, so with that, I want to introduce Karen. Uh, and Karen has uh, has been with with this, with our system for a long, long time. Um, I first met her when she was a, a, a junior faculty member when I was a pediatric resident back in 1988. Uh, a, a while back, and then we've uh, just had the fortune to work with her for so many years now, and it's been my my honor, and I've learned so much, for, you know, from her all the time, which is really, you know, someone who I who I uh, I really think is a, a transformational leader for Connecticut Children's. Uh, she started her career back at uh, uh, Albert Einstein College of Medicine, um, and and then she went down to Miami at uh, the University of Miami. Miller School of Medicine for pediatric residency and then came back to Yukon School of Medicine from 1981 through 1984, so a few years ago, uh, to do her pediatric endocrine fellowship. And then she, you know, she never left after that. That's, um, you know, that's what, what, what actually happened. Uh, and uh, Karen, uh, you know, moved very quickly through, uh, through the academic ranking from assistant professor to associate professor in 2002. And, and then division head of endocrinology, also associate clinical chair of pediatrics where we worked together for a number of years, uh, then Head of Clinical Care Innovation, and most recently Chief of Clinical Transformation at Connecticut Children's Medical Center. And, and she, I think all of you know, it's, it's always innovative thinking about transforming care. Uh, the, and, and, I, and I'll just read an excerpt here because this is really you know what she has been doing for the last few years. It's transforming the approach and capabilities of clinicians and their care teams to manage the transition of value-based care, uh, carefully targeting and staging care delivery transformation activities. And she is re- re-engineering and has done that with our clinical, uh, with our CIN uh, and, and getting us prepared for uh, population health in, in so many ways. And, and everything she does is about innovation and transformation and thinking outside the box. And, uh, and she really has achieved this. And what you'll see today with the, uh, with, with the newborn screening program and the way this has actually moved, uh, this is her idea with her, obviously with her colleagues uh, and, and, and you see also Deborah Ellis will present the, the work that is being done here. But just really, uh, we are at the forefront. I mean, this is really transformational for the whole country and the way this is done. So I'm really looking forward to her presentation. But, you know, mostly I want to really thank Karen for so many years of dedication to Connecticut Children's, to the Department of Pediatrics, and uh, just to, you know, as a, as a friend and colleague, uh, it's somebody who I always enjoy uh, talking to, and, and I, I, we're so pleased that we have her here. So Karen, I'm going to pass the podium on to you.
1: Thanks so much I just want to first say happy birthday to everybody and it's just been a joy to be part of Connecticut children's journey okay it is a pleasure for us to have the opportunity to update you about our redesign Connecticuts newborn screening system, which has has been undergoing a transformation since July 1st, 2018, when Connecticut Children's was awarded a state of Connecticut Department of Health grant to implement in close partnership with the Connecticut newborn screening program at the state lab, a novel system with an eye to the future. At the end of the presentation, you will be able to describe the Connecticut newborn screening system, clarify the roles of the primary care pediatrician and the network in newborn screening, explain how the network can support you and your patients, and integrate newborn screening resources into current workflows. We have no conflicts of interest to um, disclose. So cute. This perfect bundle of joy is Abigail Hurley, born on October first, 2020 at the Hospital of Central Connecticut. Abigail got her newborn screen blood spot card completed at 24 hours of age and her newborn sticker, which says newborn screening saves lives on her bassinet with the intent to increase awareness of newborn screening. Abigail's proud mother is none other than endocrinology nurse Lauren Hurley, a Connecticut Children's 28, 2021 prestigious Nightingale Award winner, who among her many roles, helps to ensure the best possible outcomes for the endocrinology patients identified through newborn screening. In the simplest of terms, what is newborn screening? Often called baby's first test, Obtained by a heel stick, it detects babies with serious but treatable medical, gen, meta, metabolic, hormonal, or genetic conditions. It identifies these conditions before the baby becomes sick and enables us to begin treatment within the first few weeks of life. Newborn screening is a public health program carried out in each state. Of the 4 million babies born in the United States each year, one in 300 or 12,000 newborns are diagnosed and benefit from early detection and delivery of life-saving treatment. The CDC's includes newborn screening on its list of the 10 great public health achievements for the first 10 years of our new millennium. With an eye to the future comes a nod to the past. Shown here are two old textbook photos of cretinism, a word derived from the French word a cretin, defined in Webster's unabridged dictionary as one who is human despite deformities. The medical definition of cretinism, now an obsolete term, is untreated congenital hypothyroidism, which resulted in severe growth failure, mental retardation, dry skin, a large tongue, and puffy face pictured here. Prior to newborn screening for congenital uh, hypothyroidism, which began in the late 70s, the diagnosis and treatment with thyroid hormone was delayed for months, which was too late to reverse the loss of brain development and was a leading cause of mental retardation. Newborn screening began in 1964 with a screen for PKU developed by Dr. Robert Guthrie pictured above on the left that became the prototype for universal newborn screening. Over time, many more conditions have been added with the biggest change in Connecticut between 2004 and 2010, when 35 new conditions were added with the arrival of an advanced technology, tandem mass spectroscopy. Since then, new conditions continue to be added as life-saving interventions. More recently, gene and enzyme therapies have been discovered. This past year, the first infant identified with spinal muscle atrophy 1, the severe infantile type, through newborn screening in Connecticut, was cared for at Connecticut Children's by a team led by Julia, Julia Aksadi. This infant girl underwent gene therapy at two weeks of age. Remarkable. Due to Connecticut legislation, that we screen for everything on the recommended uniform screening panel by the secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services, Connecticut is among the states that screens for the most conditions, which is currently 70. Connecticut at a glance, these are 2019 stats. The 2020 won't be ready for about a week. Um, So we are using these official stats from 2019. In Connecticut, we have nearly 36,000 births in 2019. 99.96% received newborn screening. So it's clearly universal in Connecticut. Um, If the result is considered by the DPH lab to be normal, which is the case in 34,500 babies, the process is quick and simple. If the specimen is technically unacceptable and a repeat specimen is requested, we thank all the primary care practices in Connecticut for being prepared to collect repeat newborn hailstick specimens and send back to the state lab versus sending the family elsewhere for specimen collection or ordering blood work, causing delays in the diagnostic process. If the result on an adequate sample is above the state lab cutoff, the infant is referred to our network for timely initiation of diagnostic testing and linkage to one of the 10 clinical care teams when deemed appropriate. So what was the former state of newborn screening before the launch of the network model? Many of you listening, including myself, remember what it was like with no centralized or electronic place to report and respond to out of range newborn screens, praying it would not get lost in a sea of sticky notes and cause a delay in care or worse. Our network model went live in March of 2019 and was designed and is being uh, implemented to address each of the above improvement opportunities that the DPH asked us to um, focus on. The first is the lack of efficiency and coordination and the network model provides a centralized place for reporting and tracking. We also developed a statewide system protocols, and systems of referral in close collaboration with the clinical leads of all of our subspecialty clinical care teams. Reporting limited to confirmation or exclusion of the disorder. There was no ability to report on long-term follow-up outcomes. We have laid the foundational work to be able to do so by building an electronic newborn screening registry in EPIC Without long-term follow-up, there's no way to show that we are delivering on the promise of newborn screening. A limited capacity to educate all stakeholders, including PCPs, birthing hospital providers, and families. Um, A big focus of our network professional staff are outreach and educational activities to all these stakeholder groups. Limited access to genetic counseling. Since newborn screening is an ever-evolving field, there's a need for continued education and our net. Uh, there's a there's a need um, uh, for access to genetic counseling. Um, the grant actually funds a dedicated genetic counselor, and we and also impl- implementing telehealth to to enhance the access to all families statewide. And the last one is limited feedback on children who are lost to follow up and because of the registry we can identify who those patients are and then inquire why. This is a schematic design of our network model. At the top blue is the, new, the state newborn screening program at the state lab in Rocky Hill. And we have developed, and in the middle is the network, the core network team. We have developed a digital connectivity between um, Connecticut Children's Network and the electronic system, Maven, at the state for both the initial notification of out of range screens and the reporting back on the confirmation of, of the testing. To the right you can see are the network's efforts to all the stakeholders on top the birthing hospital providers, the primary care providers, and the families. And the other connectivity we have is for all the major stakeholders in yellow, the 10 clinical care teams, five at Yale and Connecticut Children's, the birthing hospitals, the primary care providers, and the family. And to the left in brown is the electronic place that documents all the activities and follow-up information are our, our electronic newborn screening registry. I've now, before I introduce our incredible professional network team, I'd like to give first a shout out to Connecticut Children's Genetics Department. Huge sound thanks to doctors, Joe Tucker and Jacqueline Biern who interpret all the out-of-range newborn screens for genetics statewide. To our biochemical geneticist consultant, Dr. Olaf Bodamer, who provides his expertise for the interpretations of complex out-of-range genetic screens. And to our expert and uh, metabolic dietitians who provide meticulous medical nutrition therapy to patients identified with inborn Errors of metabolism, Sherry Gray and Caitlin Ware. And now it's an honor for me to introduce you to uh, the incre- incredibly talented and dedicated members of the network team. My co-speaker this morning, Deborah Ellis, who is our program and RN coordinator, Katie Reboyne, who is our EPIC certified ambulatory and registry analyst, Ginger Nichols, our dedicated genetic counselor, and Megan Crisciolo, another RN coordinator who more recently joined our team. This is important to distinguish. On the top, the Connecticut newborn screening program at the state lab and the Connecticut, the network, which is officially the Connecticut newborn diagnosis and treatment network combined to form our novel Connecticut newborn screening system. It is an honor for me to now hand over the podium to Deborah Ellis, the network's program coordinator. I knew when I interviewed Debbie that she was the person to help turn this concept into action, and despite Debbie knowing how difficult that would be, and yes, even scary, she accepted the position. An RN for 23 years, Debbie was a NICU nurse for 17 years where she focused on the family experience was a master educator and a recipient of the 2018 Nightingale Award. Take it away, Debbie.
2: Thank you, Karen. When a newborn screening result is determined to be out of range, there are two initial things that will happen the Connecticut Newborn Screening Program at the Department of Public Health will call your office to confirm that the baby is being seen by your practice and to notify you that that result was out of range. While you're receiving the news of this out-of-range result from the DPH, the network is busy behind the scenes reviewing the results, consulting with appropriate care teams, talking to a genetic counselor or a dietitian if need be, It really is a juggling act of speaking with all of these different doctors and clinical care teams and specialists trying to form the best plan for this infant. Once we have a tentative plan in place, we will reach out to you to discuss. We'll likely ask some basic information, such as if the baby is gaining weight or tolerating feeds, if you have any concerns about the infant. We'll discuss recommended next steps, what labs may be needed, provide resources for parents, and address any questions that you may have. The network serves as a link to the clinical care teams. We refer to clinical care teams at both Connecticut Children's and Yale. The care teams at each institution met together to determine agreed upon workflows so that we're being consistent across the state. We always defer to pediatrician and family preference. Each care team has a medical leader, which are listed below, so that there are 10 clinical leads. When we're developing and changing protocols or have any questions, these are the physicians that we work with. If and when a baby is seen by a care team depends on the condition. Based on the results of the initial screen, subsequent diagnostic testing, and clinical status, care teams will determine which infants need to be connected with a subspecialist and how soon. Depending on the condition, sometimes the network will recommend or initiate diagnostic testing. In some situations or for some conditions, it may be more appropriate for the testing to be done by a clinical care team or for a visit to happen right away. Certain conditions such as SMA and Pompe disease where quick action is absolutely critical, we will coordinate a same day phone call for both the family and the pediatrician with our neurologists and a next day appointment in neurology. Conditions such as these have life-saving therapies that are important to be initiated within the first few weeks of life. The time from which a newborn screening result is found to be out of range to the time in which a condition is confirmed or ruled out is referred to as the pre-diagnosis phase. This is a time of great stress for families and sometimes even for providers. The network can help by either connecting the baby with a care team or recommending follow-up labs. We have a variety of resources for families and providers during this time. During the pre-diagnosis phase, we are continuously tracking all babies. For more and more conditions, this phase is absolutely critical because intervention needs to occur early on. This is an example of what our pre-diagnosis dashboard looks like. We're continuously tracking all of the babies in the pre-diagnosis period in real time to see who is due for labs, who should have labs resulting and who may need additional support. We've blocked out the names and personal information here, but we can see the condition that the child flagged for on the newborn screen, the date that those results were reported, and the date that we need to reach out to see if labs have resulted or if a visit has occurred. It will show us what care team the baby is connected with and any other relevant information. As a result of this, the pre-diagnosis length has been significantly shortened. Because of the ability to track all of these patients electronically and the ease with which the care management dashboards prompt us to follow up on patients, we have significantly decreased the length of the pre-diagnosis episode over the past year. Because of this, there is less stress for families, less waiting for them to learn what is happening to their child, prompt connection to specialty care teams, treatment can start quicker, and there are less babies lost to follow up. We wanted to touch a little bit on some of our more common scenarios and the risk assessment or predictive value of a referral. Referrals for certain conditions such as hemoglobinopathies or SMA have a fairly high chance of being diagnosed with that condition. You can see that 53 babies referred for congenital hypothyroidism and 28 were diagnosed. So more than half of the CH referrals were true cases. It's also interesting to note that galactosemia and congenital adrenal hyperplasia are the most frequently referred conditions. However, they are not frequently diagnosed. Most of our galactosemia referrals are diagnosed as carriers or as having Duarte galactosemia, which is a very mild form that doesn't require any treatment. Congenital adrenal hyperplasia is the second most referred condition, but we only had two babies diagnosed with that last year. Without a doubt, galactosemia is our most common referral. It accounts for 25% of all overall referrals to the network. Galactosemia can be a very serious condition. Classic galactosemia is a condition in which the body is unable to properly digest galactose. So if a child with galactosemia is fed breast milk or regular formula, those undigested sugars will build up in the blood rather than being used for energy. If untreated, this can lead to serious health complications, seizures, liver damage, sepsis, or in severe cases, even death. However, not every galactosemia referral needs to be treated as urgent. We've had several situations where a provider has switched a baby to soy formula or even asked the mom to stop breastfeeding. And in most cases, this is not necessary. As you can see in the second circle, the majority of galactosemia referrals are ruled out with follow-up testing. Many of them are found to be within normal limits, a large percentage are found to be carriers of a galactosemia gene, and some have Duarte, which is that mild form. Only that small yellow slice are the true cases of galactosemia that are actually diagnosed. When the network receives a referral, we see the enzyme activity as well as the total galactose. These values, along with the clinical presentation, help to determine our course of action. In this case, you can see that the enzyme level is below the cutoff of 3.1. However, there is some enzyme activity. We can also see that the total galactose has not really started to build up in the blood. When I call this doctor's office, the nurse reports that the baby is gaining weight and tolerating feeds and doing beautifully. There is a low level of concern. So we would probably recommend repeating the newborn screen or maybe obtaining some follow-up labs. In this case, you can see that the galactosemia enzyme is significantly low. It's near zero. And the galactose has already started to build up in the blood. It's above the cutoff of 9.1. When I call the pediatrician's office, the nurse notes that the baby has lost weight and mom reports that he's very spitty. In this situation, we are more concerned. We may recommend a diet change, getting labs that same day, and even a visit with genetics within the week. When we call you, we will try to convey a sense of how urgent the results are and how concerned we are. Every referral is unique and not all out of range newborn screens, even for the same condition, should be treated the same. As the pediatrician, you have the central role in this process. You are the person that the family sees the most and speaks to, and you will be the one notifying them of the results. When you are notified, there are three potential scenarios. If the newborn screen is found to be within normal limits, just ensure that the results are documented in the baby's record. Communicate those normal results to the parents. If the lab requests a repeat, it could have been a poor sample, perhaps the blood spots were not adequately filled, maybe it was exposed to heat or the results are borderline, just obtain that repeat heel stick specimen and send it back to the DPH lab. If the baby is a referral to the network, the network will call you to advise labs, diet changes, talk about the level of risk, any special precautions. Studies have shown that when parents are educated about newborn screening, they have an easier time hearing that the results are out of range and have less anxiety throughout the diagnostic workup. And remember, if a baby is referred to the network, your office will receive two phone calls, one from DPH confirming that the baby is at your practice and notifying you of that result, and a follow-up phone call from the network to complete the intake and provide recommendations. Up until last year, Connecticut was only reporting out-of-range results to pediatricians. As you can imagine, this left room for some assumptions and was not always best practice. Starting in February of 2020, the newborn screening program is now sending reports of all newborn screening results to pediatricians, whether they are within normal limits or out of range. We're encouraging all pediatricians to discuss newborn screening results with all parents to open dialogue and increase awareness of newborn screening. How does your office notify a family of an out of range screen? Is it the pediatrician that calls? A nurse, an MA, a receptionist? Do you call right away or do you wait until the next visit? Do you state the name of the disorder? Does your office use the term PKU test or newborn screen? We recently started Connecticut's first newborn screening family advisory group to help our understanding of families' experiences and priorities. This was made possible through a partnership with PATH Family Voices. Every parent that has received an out-of-range newborn screen remembers that phone call or visit in vivid detail. In some cases, this is a life-altering conversation. The initial focus of the advisory group has been on how we can improve workflows and communication of results to improve the family experience during the pre-diagnosis phase. These are some quotes from parents in our advisory group. I wish I was told what the condition actually was. We were home two hours and got a call from our pediatrician. She said to go to the lab right away. Our baby was stabbed with needles for almost an hour and nobody could tell us why. Our doctor told us not to worry, that all newborn screens are false positives. That child was not a false positive. A nurse from my pediatrician's office called and told me that my daughter was positive for PKU. She had actually flagged for MCAD. She could give me no other information other than that she needed to have labs done as soon as possible. As parents have shared their stories, we've noticed some common themes. In many cases, the explanation the family was given lacked relevant information. Families want to be provided with resources or websites. They may not always use them, but they want to know what resources are available if and when they are ready. They want to be told that there are treatments available, and they want to know who to contact if they have more questions. That first contact sets the tone for the family's entire newborn screening experience, and sometimes for their entire medical journey. We suggest the following steps when you're notifying a family of -of out-of-range results. State the name of the condition. Emphasize that newborn screening is a screening tool, not a diagnosis. Emphasize that all conditions screened for are treatable and that the large majority of children diagnosed can have healthy growth and development with early treatment. Depending on the condition, these treatments are sometimes as simple as a diet change or a diet supplement, and sometimes can be as complex as gene therapy. Review the next steps. What labs are needed? Where should they go to have labs drawn? When will results be expected? Is a visit necessary? Provide them with resources, an info sheet, a website, our network info line. The words that you're using when delivering newborn screening results do matter. Instead of not discussing newborn screening results that are normal, tell the family, the results of your baby's newborn screen were normal or the results of your baby's newborn screen were out of range and more testing is needed. And even if an infant is diagnosed, all conditions are treatable. We have heard a few heartbreaking stories from families. One family was told that their newborn screen was abnormal for XALD. According to the family, they were told that the baby had XALD, that the prognosis was very poor, and that they should go home and spend quality time with their child. The family was beside themselves. They told all of their friends and family. They had an elaborate family photo shoot. When they finally had their visit with genetics, they learned there was a miscommunication in the delivery of results. And after follow-up testing, the child was determined to be a carrier for XALD. We don't know exactly what was told to the family. Maybe they misheard or misunderstood, but this story shows that it's important to recap and make sure that you're on the same page as families and that they understand what they're being told. In Connecticut, we screen for almost 70 conditions. And with advances in genetics, we expect new conditions will continue to be added regularly. We still hear many, many providers refer to the newborn screening blood spot card as a PKU test. We have focused a lot of our educational efforts on stressing that the term PKU test is outdated and can be confusing for parents. The term newborn screen or newborn screening blood spot card should be used when talking to parents. We've had many families who were told that their child's newborn screen was abnormal and have spent days and weeks researching PKU only to find out that the child referred for a very different disorder. We have even had labs told that they need to run a PKU test and the lab will do a phenylalanine level which is used in diagnosing PKU but is not very helpful in determining almost all of the conditions other than PKU on our list. This is a poster that we created for offices and hospitals, stressing the importance of proper terminology. This is an example of what a parent might receive when they're told that their newborn screen is out of range. We heard from pediatricians that they and their office staff did not feel equipped to discuss many of the conditions that we screen for. And we certainly don't expect every doctor to know the ins and outs of every rare condition we made it a priority to create these condition-specific information sheets. When a child is referred for any condition, we will call the PCP to review the plan and will then follow that conversation up with a fax that reiterates the plan and will include an information sheet for the specific condition that the baby screened for. This sheet reviews what newborn screening is in general. It emphasizes that it's just a screening, not a diagnosis. It states the name of the disorder and stresses that with early treatment, most children will go on to have healthy growth and development. It lists some basic signs and symptoms to watch for, provides a reputable website for information, and provides our network info line, so if the parents have any additional questions, they can call us to get more information. We've received very good feedback from both pediatricians and families so far. In addition to the posters and info sheets, we have created Band-Aids for every baby born in Connecticut. We are hoping that the visual cue of the Band-Aid will encourage a discussion between the nurse and the parent at the time of the newborn screen. We find that a lot of parents are told that the baby is having blood work done and taken to the nursery, or maybe they even see the newborn screen being done, but a real conversation about what newborn screening is never happens. Studies have shown that when parents are aware of newborn screening and knowledgeable about the process, they have an easier time receiving out of range results and are more likely to follow through with the recommended labs. This is a magnet that we have created to clarify for pediatricians, offices, and hospitals who they should be contacting and why. We were frequently getting calls that may need to be directed to the lab and vice versa. So this just states the most common reasons why you may want to call either entity with our phone numbers and faxes for your convenience. Back to you, Terry. Yeah.
1: Genetic counseling telehealth visit direct to families are now available statewide at no cost. Genetic counselors act as listeners and provide emotional support and help families cope with and adapt to the emotional, psychological, medical, social, and economic consequences of the test results. Both pre- and post-diagnosis, the genetic counselor determines if other family members would benefit from genetic testing and discloses genetic testing results. Post-diagnosis, genetic counseling for adolescents educates them about their condition and addresses their reproductive health issues. We have adapted Connecticut Children's co-management class model to develop a newborn screening toolkit. The plan clarifies PCP roles and, partner, and as partners in newborn screening, how the network can help you and your families and attaches all the info, info sheets mentioned by Debbie. We, we recommend that if you are not yet a verified CLASP user, that you enroll once by visiting our website and following the instructions. Primary care providers, you will remain as an invaluable member of the care team in the long-term follow-up of infants and children identified through newborn screening as the providers of preventive care, screening, and management of other health concerns the child may have or be at risk for that can impact the outcomes of the condition diagnosed through newborn screening. Our goal is for the network to facilitate ongoing multi-directional communication and coordination of care between the family, the primary care providers, the subspecialty care teams, birth to three, and the schools. Trying to impact long-term health outcomes uh, means that we have to start in the beginning. 49 of the 70 conditions we screen for qualify for birth to three. Upon diagnosis, a network coordinator will alert you that a birth-to-three referral is recommended. This might look familiar to you. We actually um, used your universal screening schedule and the tools you commonly use for universal and targeted screening for developmental and behavioral health issues to know when is a good time for our network to reach out to you to gather the results of these assessments. This work is in its very early stages and the network will be working hard to find a streamlined and efficient way to gather this data. If the results are out of range, we will also be ascertaining if these patients have been linked to services. Reporting of long-term follow-up outcomes will be in aggregate and de-identified to the the National Long-Term Newborn Screening Long-Term Follow-Up Program. Population health entails an ideological shift from managing the patient before you to your patient population as a whole. Registries are one population health tool, others are assessing and uh, addressing the social determinants of health, care coordination, and integrated new models of care, such as co-management. Building an EPIC registry requires us to define our unique population and determine what we really need to know to ensure the best possible health outcomes. To generate measurable outcomes and dashboards, consistent documentation, and as much discrete data as possible is needed. Here is a visual design of our newborn screening registry. At the top is the executive dashboard, which captures and tracks metrics of interest to the entire newborn screening population, such as growth and developmental metrics. Below are specialty and condition-specific dashboards, which contain actionable condition-specific metrics. The monitoring of these Monitoring of these dashboards are required, uh, are needed uh, by program and clinic coordinators so they can drill down to the patient level and act immediately to fill and address care gaps. An example of the impact of registry usage on our sickle cell population is uh, depicted here. On the vertical axis is the percent of patients who achieve a desired target measure. On the the horizontal axis are six key uh, sickle cell disease metrics. Blue is before registry usage, and green is about a year after. And there was upward improvement in all of these measures, measures, but I'd like to point out the two where the improvement was most impressive. The percent of patients with severe sickle cell, this is on the right, the right two bar graphs, with the first penicillin order before two months of age, and the percent with transcranial Doppler before three years of age. These interventions are proven to be associated with dramatically improved outcomes in sickle cell disease. I'd like to just show you our stats in the year of COVID. A light in the darkness Nearly 36,000 babies continued to be born in Connecticut and spared of COVID. Out of these 481 had out of range screens and 113 of these babies were diagnosed, connected to care and provided early intervention. Just to give you an idea of the distribution of infants diagnosed Uh, uh, by the specialty care centers at Connecticut Children's at Yale. The highest volumes, as you can see by the two highest bar graphs, are genetics at uh, Connecticut Children's followed by endocrinology at Connecticut Children's. And this is a graph of the total number of patients tracked in our newborn screening registry at Connecticut Children's. We have similar numbers at Yale as well. These are the patients that were newly identified since the uh, go-live of our registry at 2019, but we also include in our register the legacy patients that were being followed prior to them. So the total number of patients in the five specialty areas is three uh, 1,355 patients. So our newborn screening population is sizable, it's vulnerable, and it warrants us taking a population health approach. I'd like to now close by um, sharing with you our new areas of focus to enhance the network, the newborn screening system, and improve long-term health outcomes. Um, the first one is um, our partnership through our partnership with the nonprofit Path and uh, non- nonprofit Family Advocacy Group Path and Family Voices, we were able to train and form a newborn screening advisory group to help us incorporate the family voice into every aspect of our program. We're also beginning to address health inequities through a partnership with another nonprofit, Health Equity Solutions, and we're starting to focus on our sickle cell population. And lastly, we will begin reporting and improving long-term follow-up outcomes. The HERSA Long-Term Follow-Up Program is promoting and supporting those newborn screening programs focusing on long-term follow-up with the goal of ensuring improved outcomes. We are confident that together we will be able to be front runners um, in in this area. And this confidence is reinforced by the alignment of our goals with the recent announcement of Connecticut Children's new Center for Wellbeing and Care Integration. and now i'll leave you with this if you are interested in all those amazing new materials stickers band-aids posters um for your office we would be happy to supply all of these materials just email us here Um, i'm not going to read the email and we can always send it to you and don't forget to include your mailing address thank you
0: thank you karen uh and you know truly You know just amazing and Debbie for your presentation and and most importantly for setting this up um, and your work if you can stay up uh, by the podium for for the questions that we have Um, and we have a number of questions Uh, the the first one uh, from uh, John Brancato our policy for babies dropped off under the safe havens act is to resend the newborn screening from the emergency department as we may not be able to identify the infant or their birth location any comment on that it's, these are the babies that I let, you know, the occasional baby that is dropped off uh, in the ED under the the, the Safe Havens Act. So how do we deal with that? Because Repeat the newborn
2: tests. screen and contact the Department of Public Health newborn screening program. Um, the number will be on the magnet or on any newborn screening blood spot cards that you may have in the ER. Please obtain that newborn screen and just contact the Department of Public Health lab and ask them how to document and identify that infant. They'll probably give the infant a unique accession number so that they can track them moving forward.
0: So the, the safest thing is to repeat the test, even though it might have been done somewhere else, because we won't be able to track it yes. otherwise. Okay. So, John, hopefully that answers your, your question. Karen, were you going to say something? I was like?
1: going to ask, has that happened yet? I have not encountered that happening okay. yet. No. It may yeah. happen.
0: It's, I mean, it's yeah, a rare yeah. event, but it can happen. So thank you, John, for that great question. Uh, from Dr. Cohen, wonderful program. The conclusion is that the network will only contact the family or send them a message when the second sample is at of range, and the infant will be referred to the specialist. Is that correct?
2: We are always going to ask the pediatrician to be the one notifying the family of the out of range results. So when a newborn screen flags is out of range, we will notify your office. And we're gonna ask you to call the family or to bring the family in to let them know that that newborn screening is out of range and more steps are necessary. If you feel that the family has additional questions following that conversation, please give them our phone number or our email address and we would be happy to talk to them about it further.
0: Great. Um also from Dr. Cohen. We've had some difficulties uh in, in the lab, especially request especially with request after the after the second abnormal sample in quest databases. What is the solution? For internet you know, inability to to see
2: that a a problem statewide maybe nationwide with obtaining blood on infants there is a need for skilled phlebotomists that can consistently obtain a good blood sample on babies and this is a, a stressful experience for the babies and for the families and we've been working with quest to try to identify some pediatric centers of excellence so that we can consistently refer babies to labs that are skilled at drawing blood and where they will have a positive experience but i do encourage every every practice to become familiar with a lab in the area. It's very easy in the Hartford area, because families can come right to the Children's Hospital, where they almost always have a positive experience. But in some of the corners of the state, it may be harder to find that type of facility. So if you have a family that has a good experience, ask them what lab they go to, or encourage a family to call in advance and see if there's a phlebotomist on that feels comfortable drawing blood on a baby. We've also had some practices that have started to bring the baby into the office and bag the baby and obt- obtain a urine sample there so that they can send the family to the lab with the urine sample in hand. Because for many families, bagging and obtaining that urine without spilling it at home can be a challenge. He
0: can, cannot, cannot always see the lab on the Quest site. Oh. That's that's what he's referring to.
2: Um, We can see the labs on our site, and the network is identifying the day that um, the labs should be resulting, and we're monitoring that every day. So if we have ordered the lab, it will result to us, and we will notify you the day that the labs result. We're also sending those labs to the appropriate care team, whether it be genetics or endocrinology, so that the specialty care team can review those labs, and we will then contact you with next steps, whether it is that we're closing the case or that the baby needs a visit right away, and we can include those labs in that communication so that you're getting a copy of the labs no matter what.
0: So the answer is, you may not see it on the Quest, but the the system is going to connect with you. Ideally, obviously, the pediatrician wants to check directly. So that's probably what Dr. Cohen is referring to. So there might be a little bit of a tweaking there that still needs to be done. So thank you, Alberta, for that question. Um, the other question is, is informed consent required for newborn screening, or is it an opt-out system, or is, it, or is the consent waived?
2: In Connecticut, it is implied consent.
0: All right, let's see what, I, what we have other questions here. I think, that, oh, there's, I think there's one more. Um How about newborn uh, the newborn hearing screen? Uh, that's sort of a different type of newborn screening. So can you comment on that? So the,
2: the newborn screening, as a whole encompasses not only the newborn screening blood spot card, but also screening for cystic fibrosis, hearing screening, and CCHD or critical congenital heart defects. And they're all go to different little outlets um, to track that newborn screening down the road. The hearing screen is usually done in the hospital um, shortly after 24 hours of life. And the parents usually have the results of that before they're discharged from the hospital.
0: Another question is, is there a confirmation system that the primary care provider on record has received the report, especially those that are out of range?
2: Yes. So... The Department of Public Health lab will call you to notify you that it's out of range. Then the network will send you a fax and we will also call and make sure that we speak to someone. We don't want any of these children getting lost. So there are three checks in place to make sure that you have the results and that we have verbally confirmed with someone that someone in your office is aware of next steps for that family.
0: All right. um... I think we have another question that just came in. Um, fantastic overview of a wonderful program improving the health of Connecticut children. So I a kudos to you, and then what you guys have done. Uh, so thank you for that comment for those of you. And we've had a number of of emails sharing their own experience with with uh, what used to be called PKU correctly. And I still, I you know, I might still have fallen into that if you know recently. But I appreciate the clarification that you know this is a broader program that is really innovative. And it it appears to me that this is best in class for the country, Uh, so I truly appreciate what you have done and the future. And this is a Connecticut Children's-led project. I I know Yale is part of the system, and they work very closely with you, but the fact that we lead it is something that makes me enormously proud. And thank you both. And, Karen, thank you for the leadership of of moving it forward. Any last comments from uh, either one of you?
1: I just want to thank our partners, uh, Marie Burletten team at the Newborn, the state newborn screening program and uh, state lab for really being amazing partners, partners with us and giving us, us the opportunity to build really what is going to be one of the leading programs in the country.
0: Brian says fantastic work. And uh, Debbie has been instrumental in this amazing pioneer program. So, so you're getting uh, lots of kudos from everyone. So uh, thank you both. Thank you for everyone that I know there's a big team that works on this our IT folks, I mean, just a number of people who helped with the build. Uh, and I remember your vision, Karen, uh, many years ago, and it's come to fruition. So thank you for delivering. And thank you, everyone, for joining. We will see you. Uh, this Friday is the is the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Seminar. Uh, you can sign up for that. It's a two-and-a-half, three-hour program in the morning. Very important. And then uh, next Tuesday, Grand Rounds again. And then next Friday, John Shriver comes back for Ask the Experts. So thank you for joining. Have a good week, and we'll see you again. And happy birthday to Connecticut Children's. Bye-bye.